Welcome to episode 10 of season four. If you've just joined, this is Maria at Maria the Arcane on Instagram. And I'm joined by the lovely, our supreme leader <laughs> of At a Tired Witch on Instagram. Rat girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Rat Girl for the record, but Rat Girl, right? <laughs> if you're in the Discord, you're in the know, you know, right? Then you know. Then you know. <laughs> then you know. <laughs> Uh, we have a couple of things that we want to announce at the start of this episode. First and foremost, we have surpassed 100 episodes. We should have talked about that last episode. Um, but yeah, that's really exciting. And so in that, we wanted to just do a little shout out to our Patreon members. Because of you guys, we are able to make this podcast every week. And mm-hmm. we're just so grateful. So yeah, thank you. Really thank you grateful. for allowing us to get to 100 episodes, guys. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, and devote so much of our time to it. Like, we definitely yeah. we appreciate you guys. We so really much. do. Uh, the other thing that we wanted to remind you guys of is that this weekend on May t- May 27th, we have the Spellcrafting 101 class by Ella Harrison in Patreon. This is for library tier and up. It will be recorded. And so if you can't make the class, which is at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, if you cannot make the class, it will be available immediately on Patreon. So we hope to see you guys there. I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah, the platform that we have for classes now is like so really much better. Great. Yeah, so, so streamlined, so much better. Ten out of ten. Glad we switched. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> if you just joined us this week, every week we talk about upcoming lunar phases and how we can utilize that in our magical practice. So this particular full moon is going to be on June 4th. It is the full moon in Sagittarius, or rather I should say it starts on June 4th. (laughs) Uh, The full moon in Sagittarius is a really, really great time to explore things that you have optimism about and like to plant seeds to. I know typically when we talk about things like planting seeds, uh, we look to new moons, But this particular moon is a really good time to kind of hone in that same energy that we might see in a new moon and give it that little extra boost using the full moon. So it's a good time to plant seeds that are in new projects. Anything that we have already started that needs a little extra boost or we're feeling really good about, it's a good time to add power to that and kind of just charge it. So for example, you've been working really hard, let's say on, I don't know, uh, getting a promotion. You've been working, you've been putting that energy in already, you've been putting in that time and effort. This is a really good time that you could utilize the efforts you've already put in to seeing the success go all the way through. Mm -hmm. Um, I would also consider during this full moon uh, pairing it with the energies of the sun because we are seeing that kind of success energy, follow through, etc. Even if we aren't using the literal sun, but pairing it with like planetary hour of the sun. Um, I think it's a really, it's a really good pairing. So let's, you know, go with the follow through. (laughs) 
I happen to think full moon in Sagittarius is one of the best full moons. It's not because my moon is in Sagittarius. No, definitely not. No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but I personally like to work with Sagittarius moons by working on expansion and getting outside of my comfort zone. Ooh, um, I can see that for sure. Yeah. 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 We're a flighty bunch. But we're also open up to, you know, new experiences and experiencing new things. And I think doing a ritual like where you're where you just kind of like maybe dance to some music or even just like going out on the night on the town, like wearing something that you feel super confident in and just like Mm -hmm. channeling using that full moon to channel the energy into becoming you know something more and something substantial that you can keep carrying on with you after the mm-hmm. full moon does that make yeah. sense yeah okay. it does i mean i would to bounce off that if you're gonna go with that that kind of route uh looking to join like drum circles mm-hmm. or going to bonfires we're like we're here now in summer right mm-hmm. um start going on there where there the ritual doesn't have a quote manifestation intent the ritual is about just putting yourself out there and enjoying the energy of others mm-hmm. yeah I think, I, agree. I think that's nice <laughs> so if you just joined us for this episode or haven't listened to the other episodes so far this season in lieu of choosing a card and discussing it like we have been doing we're just talking about the whole different sections in tarot so so far we've gone over the major arcana the minor and which each suit generally means and we went through one through three so this week we are talking about the fours in tarot so fours typically symbolize us starting to see and bear witness to the new path um the ace has led us on these fours show us the wide range of experience and emotions we have when we reach this point also it's like important to mention that the number four is linked to the square and fours and tarot show us you know different representations of the square of stability and what stability means to us now when it comes to finally seeing progress as i said we have a wide range of emotions celebratory like with the four of wands stubbornness um to put in more work with the four of cups a rest or respite a respite so we can keep going which is the four swords and investing in ourselves and our goals which is the four of pence now when it comes to stability um the time and attention we put into this part of our life matters now. Whenever one of four pops up, think of the fours as the bones of a house. If you are doing it half-assed, you will not have the structure that can withstand any tests or trials that may come your way. It's important to remember that the fives are next in line. And I wanted to touch on this, and then we'll be discussing it more on length because it's important. You know, fives represent the trials we will inevitably inevitably face when working on something. If you head into the fives with a week four, there is a high failure rate. Now, if 
let's say like if the four swords pops up, um, you should be resting when you can, like not ignoring it. Cause I know many of us, especially in this capitalistic world is like, no, let's just ignore that for Let's just keep pushing. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> don't fight it. Don't fight it. Just lean into it. Um, if the four of cups pops up, remember, you know, happiness is work and not not all fun and games like we have um like we have experienced in the previous cup cards like you know we had an emotional attachment to something and then we had partying basically with friends but now it's actually time to do like real work in order to cultivate that happiness Mm -hmm. um and also that card reminds us that you can't have enough happiness um Real Mm -hmm. and sustainable happiness is worked on and cultivated, as I said. If the Four of Wands pops up, up, don't get so lost in celebrating how far you've come that you forget that metaphorical house needs more than just bones to be something more. This doesn't mean don't celebrate, do, but let that celebration be the reason you keep going. And last but not least, the Four of Pence reminds us that it is okay to invest in yourself. It's okay to put some money and energy towards your goals it's okay to be selfish sometimes i will say though i see the four pens totally different than most readers i view most people um i view what most people say about the upright card as reversed because you know he's holding tight on his money while being you know upside down but anyways how about you how do you view the fours Honestly, I've got nothing to add. It to me it is massively that stability card and like going to the four of swords, like going back to that and how, you know, it's something of rest. It's important to remember that putting in time to rest is a part of work, right? Mm-hmm. And and so we have that kind of stability that our finances give us, that our like our job gives us, life putting ourselves out there, having a structure, etc. But if we aren't paying attention to things like burnout and rest, that mm-hmm. stability is really, you know, shaky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so it's important that it's important to take it. It's in part of work, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like even though it doesn't necessarily feel like a stability card when you think about things like rest, et cetera, I think mm-hmm. it's such a key component. Of it really maintaining is 100%. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, other than that, I have nothing to add. That was wonderful. Oh, thanks. I try. You're welcome. <laughs> As we mentioned earlier in this episode, we are joined today by Lynn, who's going to tell us a little bit about ceremonial magic. But before we get too deep into that, do you want to let our listeners know who you are? Yeah, absolutely. What a joy and honor it is to join you all today. Uh, I'm Mavius Lynn, and I'm a ceremonial magician occultist who has been practicing over a decade. I'm an artist, writer, and YouTuber who is particularly interested in making the occult accessible and inclusive. The particular focus of my occult path is Thelema. I am active in my local pagan community as well as a member of the fraternal occult group Orido Templi Orientis, or the OTO, where I serve as a local body officer. My educational content can be found on my YouTube channel, and of course you can find me all over social media, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, um, all of those things, and they're all linked. And I also have a Patreon for people who want a little extra from me. 
And all this will be in the caption for those of you who are worried about spelling or anything like that. Can you tell us a little bit about what is ceremonial magic? Sure. So ceremonial magic, I think the thing that sets it apart from other types of magic is perhaps its goals and the methods by which to obtain those goals. So magic, if you define it as the art and science of causing change to occur in conformity with will, ceremonial magic seeks to um, obtain a number of different sort of higher spiritual aspirations, like obtaining a profound sacred knowledge of self, achieving an elevated state of consciousness where the ego is in union with the higher self, returning to the divine form of the absolute all, or understanding the nature of God or divinity. And of course, those methods would look like, um, you know, perhaps, of course, a ceremony. So the use of ritual implements, the use of robes um, and various types of attire, a temple setup, things of that nature. And I just want to acknowledge that as I'm saying all of these things, there's, of course, a lot of overlap with other types of magic as well. So... What drew you specifically to ceremonial magic over other paths or forms of magic? Yeah, so my story um, is actually uh, the result of book bans in Florida f- uh, from conservative parties growing <laughs> up, which is actually a kind of funny story. That that was really the watershed moment for me. Um, so growing up in Florida, uh, as a queer person, I wanted to read more about that because... Uh, I, I didn't know, understand myself. There weren't a lot of resources. This was back in a day where the internet wasn't as fully formed as it is now. Uh, not to date myself, uh, but, but uh, you know, so I wasn't there. I, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, you know, I, I was looking for resources, and in the public library in my school library, they banned all literature for that had an LGBT representation at all. So this was books talking about gay people. This is books with gay characters, all of it gone. They also removed other things they just deemed as uh, unfit and not in line with their agenda, such as all books talking about evolution. And being a really curious person, I wanted access to these things. And, you know, snooping around the library, the next best thing was philosophy. So I was very bored and I just started reading uh, some... (laughs) philosophy like Sartre and Camus I got into the existentialism and then I got into some of the nihilism like Friedrich Nietzsche and I just it was really fascinating so the space I found that was willing to talk to me about that was like a lot of the forums online uh, talking about philosophy and uh, sort of I very quickly fell into this hole with other people interested who were also interested in the occult and so I sort of began my studies of various occultists uh, one in particular uh, really strongly resonated with me, especially as a queer person, and that was Alistair Crowley. And so that really began my deep dive into this research and study. And, um, you know, of course, I like to keep in my open mind, and I do try to regularly do pagan rituals and festivals and um, try on different things, of course. But the thing that just resonates <laughs> with me always comes back to ceremonial magic and Thelema. I always feel so jaded because I'm born and raised California so I've never experienced these book bans and I've we've had other people on here talking about very similar when they were growing up and I always just feel so jaded because I've never I've never experienced mm-hmm. that as a kid yeah. we just didn't have that in California even as a military brat like <laughs> on military basis we didn't have book yeah. bans we had any My type s- of book <laughs> 
Yeah, my sister-in-law is from the from Indiana, and she she's told me about things like that as well. Well, like Harry Potter was banned in her school, and I've always found that so fascinating because can't relate. Yeah, <laughs> so Let's interesting. Now, okay, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, For different reasons. <laughs> but anyways, um, so people talk about high and low magic in the context of ceremonial magic. What is the difference? Yeah, so um, I just want to first recognize that those can be terms can be defined a lot of different ways. But one way that's really helped me sort of wrap my brain around these concepts is in contrast to the magic practice in witchcraft, for example, that seeks to bring about change here on Earth or perhaps forging bonds with nature. Ceremonial magic's goals are heavily focused on those higher spiritual aspirations. And those would be, uh, you know, so that'd be the difference between high and low magic. Um those things I just mentioned, of course, you know, uh, obtaining understanding of the nature of God or divinity, uniting with the absolute, all things like that. Um, but of course, the tools in ceremonial magic can be effectively wielded for a variety of different magical purposes. Um, but of course, the core of its intended larger goals of the practice remain those higher spiritual aspirations and transformations of self and knowledge. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there's quite a bit of overlap between the two. There's no reason a person can't practice both. Uh, it's really an open book and uh, a landscape ripe with self-discovery and experimentation. I've always heard high magic being described, and so I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, um, of separating self from like the ego from oneself to like obtain that kind of higher connection with the divine is that am, am i right about that <laughs> yeah I, I think that can definitely be one of the goals of ceremonial magic and or high magic you know um I, I think a lot of this comes down to what the ceremonial magician believes in and what they believe sure. they're trying to achieve. And so I hesitate to be like, oh yes, this is all of it. Um, because sure, sure. there's just such a diversity of people and beliefs and what they believe they're doing and what their beliefs are around how the magic works. But yeah, I think sure. that's a solid, a solid way to think about it for sure. Um, so our next question is, what's a common misconception that you feel is associated with ceremonial magic and ceremonial magicians in general? I think this is a great question, and I am so excited to talk about this because I wish I could talk about this more often. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, ceremonial magic has long been associated with the wealthy and educated elite. But this is absolutely not reflective of the diverse community today. And I see this over and over again, that people think ceremonial magicians are ang all angry old white men. And um, this, is, um, this is just not true. And I think it's a very harmful um, thing to believe and sort of project out there in the world because we are very diverse. We are come from all different backgrounds and span a wide diversity of people within not only as solo practitioners, but also in our magical orders. And, um, you know, perhaps not maybe all magical orders, but a lot of the ones I see and have participated in. And um, I think, you know, not to speculate too much here, but I think this is happening for two reasons. I think the first one is the nature of the secrecy around ceremonial magic. So um, mm -hmm. many, most practitioners, including the big ones, do not have an online presence at all. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that's because silence is one of the powers of the Sphinx, and that's taken rather seriously, not only in magical orders, but also as solar practitioners. So there is um, a precedent and an encouraging, even in certain spaces, to not have an online presence or even talk about the work you're doing at all. So there's that. And then so when you do... Yeah, absolutely. And and then so when, when you do get some people online talking about it um, in the space now, it really seems like some of the loudest voices are angry old white men. And um, <laughs> they really they really dominate these spaces, um, you know, whether it's because they were the first one to make, you know, uh, the, the, the group on Facebook, Facebook or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they may dominate, but they're not, they're not the whole picture. And arguably, these particular characters are, not, are a very small percentage of the ceremonial magic landscape. But I think when you don't see yourself reflected in the world, you don't see yourself in these voices being represented, it's very alienating. And you question, heck, do I even belong here? And that's one of my main motivations for just starting to make content, starting to talk about it, as someone mm-hmm. who's been very secretive most of my life. Um, so... Yeah, I just want to drive home that not only are we very diverse, women absolutely have a space, people, queer people have a space here, but you don't have to have higher education or money to to practice ceremonial magic. Um, Absolutely not. You don't need fancy tools. You don't need fancy implements. Um, You know, magic is simply a tool to realize and explore that expression of divinity and magic is for everyone. I love that. that. Yeah. yeah, I think there's like I think there's a big problem in a lot of communities where um, you know cis white men see something that works and it makes them feel powerful, so they try to claim mm-hmm. it as their own and keep it as their own. And you know, well, I mean, very... I think it's fair to say that even in the folk magic communities, oh, yeah. just paganism in general, mm-hmm. it tends to be while there are plenty of women (laughs) and even in online spaces you know Mm -hmm. at first brush you might feel like there's these tons of female creators queer creators etc but when you actually spend a lot of time in it the loudest voices tend to be cis white men they just do and (laughs) i I think it's everyone agrees with them and stuff like right i mean yeah (laughs) that's because white men seem to get away with a lot more than anyone else um (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think it's important to remember, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Especially in just spiritualism as a flat blanket, regardless of your beliefs, your paths, whatever, is that it is a hugely diverse community with just diverse faces and people and thoughts and beliefs. And Mm -hmm. I, I do think that that's a really good point to bring up is that, you know, just because the loudest voices are fit one box that isn't an actual picture that isn't the full picture mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah absolutely and i just want to follow that up too one of the soapboxes i get on on a lot and like sort of rant about which i think is just such an important point especially in thelema in terms of its you know a subcategory of ceremonial magic but um women have been fundamental to the inception and creation of thelema as if you want to say a mystical path, a religion, whatever you want to consider it. And the Book of the Law, which is would not exist without Rose Crowley. It just wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And women have been integral to the rec- recording of the history, its formation, uh, these magical orders, all of this. And it just blows my mind that 
they're continually sort of swept under the rug and their importance and significance diminished. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I just want to say it's not only a modern thing, but, you know, the, the tradition of women playing an important role goes back a long time from its inception. So, yeah. So are there any ways non-ordered folk witches could incorporate ceremonial magic into their practice? Absolutely. And this is such a fun question because I think about this a lot. Um, When I (laughs) I, uh, give presentations to pagans and witches and all of that stuff, uh, I get really excited about this because you can just do, you can go out there and incorporate parts of ceremonial magic into your existing practice really in a powerful way, in a new way, in a refreshing way. So whether you're someone who's been a practitioner for a really long time looking, you know, to take your your practice into an experimental direction or you're looking for a little extra boost or something just different to revitalize your practice or you're just a beginner wanting to know what these different things feel like. I think this is awesome and I'm so excited for the listeners and you all to share some of the practical ways you can actually do that. So, um The first one I'm going to start with is the use of Golden Dawn flashing colors. So for those who aren't familiar, the Golden Dawn uh, was a um, occult magical order that dissolved. I majorly agree with this one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And and that was uh, reformed in modern times. And there's still a bunch of different existing Golden Dawn orders today. Um, I had the pleasure of being initiated and participating in uh, one of those offshoot groups, which was a real treasure. Uh, But yeah, so you can use these things called flashing colors, which are a combination of colors producing a flashing or strove-like effect on the eyes. Um, It's believed that they stir up etheric energy and produce psychic effects. Um, And you could use these color combinations in your spell work, on talismans, on your altar, on your robe. um, And that's just, boom, you're doing it, right? So, uh, you know, it's a pretty easy thing to look up, learn about, and just start using and seeing if it's effective for you. Uh, I want to go over some cleansing and banishing stuff as well that I think would be really appropriate because in my opinion, you could just do one of these banishing or cleansing rituals before you do spell work. And it's just sort of like Legos, plug and play. You just stick them together (laughs) and you're ready to go. Um, So the first one I'm going to recommend uh, for a ceremonial banishing ritual is a lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. Uh, That's a pretty basic one. The one I do is like a Thelemic version of that found in Mm -hmm. David Shoemaker's Living Thelema book. It's great. Um, And then another one, too, uh, as a banishing ritual is something called the Star Ruby. It's a little bit more aggressive, but the principle is the same as you're banishing all of that energy and sort of leaving... um, a void in its place. I would say the LBRP or the Lesser Banishing Ritual, the pentagram, uh, actively removes negative forces while leaving behind some of the positive ones, while the Star Ruby is said to banish everything, both good and bad. So use that uh, according to whatever you're trying to do uh, it, that comes <laughs> after. You could also use these um, daily as just a daily sort of magical cleansing. Um, that's up to you. Another one I'm going to recommend uh, is the middle pillar, a practice you can do as a restorative or cleansing daily or again before or after uh, whatever working you're doing. And then this one I think is, uh, I don't hear this recommended to witches very often, but I think it's awesome. And that's the solar adoration ritual, Liber Resh Velhelios, which is performed four times a day at the four different solar stations of the sun. 
you don't have to be a Thelemite or a member of any magical order to do this ritual. And uh, it's a beautiful way to inject mindfulness throughout your day. It can act as a banishing. Uh, it can act also as sort of like an energizing and um, helps you regain your focus throughout the day to your magical work and keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, in the more advanced sense, Libra Resh or Libra Resh Valhelios uh, allows you to take spiritual energy of the sun and draw force from him. So uh, that can be very helpful depending on what kind of work you're doing or if it's a longer working what you're doing in that time period. But I just think it's such a beautiful way to connect to divinity and that spiritual energy of the sun. And yeah, it's, it's open to everyone. Like I said, it was originally developed uh, for Alistair Crowley's teaching order, the AA, but like all of the rest of the work in the AA, it's completely open. Anyone can do it uh, just like this ritual. That's a lot of good information. Thank you. Yeah, that's a lot of really good information. Yeah, my <laughs> pleasure. I love talking about this. This is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so ceremonial magic is a very traditional path. How has it been modernized or how have you personally modernized your own practice? Yeah, that's a really uh, good question. So, um, yeah, it's very old, right? So it's um, it goes back far, far, far. And what and if you're willing to consider Aleister Crowley a modernizing influence, he absolutely was. He was we he was a complicated guy and I, I don't like talking about Crowley because I feel like all I do is talk about Crowley because people want to know about him and that's fine. That's fine. But uh, <laughs> when we talk about modernizing influences in ceremonial magic, I mean, he's it. So um, I would say, I think it's important to recognize that he said some very hurtful things. And when you view them from the modern lens, especially they are very problematic, if not outright vile. Right. Uh, but he also said some incredibly powerful, very progressive things. So where are we? Where are we? How do we deal with this man of history? Uh, and I'm not someone to tell you. I think people should make up on their own how they feel about Crowley. I really believe that. But I think they should make up that uh, their opinion based on solid facts and not sort of um, the vast amounts of misinformation out there. So to return back to what I was saying about what Crowley did that was so special, um, aside from, so one of his big things was seeing divinity everywhere and in all people. So, um, and he, and, and within this context, he was coming to terms with being queer himself in the Victorian era. So what mm. he was figuring out what that meant. And I think when he was doing magical workings, that also reflected that. So there, you know, he, he, identified his different genders throughout his life. He went, he went by the name Alice at one point. Um, he was, he lived an openly queer life or at least as open as he could. He spoke of his lovers and the magical workings with men and women uh, in his magical diaries, uh, in his magical work. So of course, when he went to teach, he fought, uh, you know, te do a magical teaching order, the AA, and then eventually um, join and head the OTO, this, these, both these organizations from their inception, the Victorian era, were inclusive to women at a time where Masonic organizations especially were only open to men, some of which are still only open to men today. Mm -hmm. uh, these organizations were inclusive to women. They were inclusive to queer people of all colors, all stripes, you know, gender, sexuality, all of that. And um, I would say that legacy lives on today in those orders and how he approached magic because he did approach it in a very 
queer way that I think um, as a queer person myself really resonates with me, but I think other people, because um, I guess not to get too personal here, but it is a personal topic. Uh, you know, a lot of magic and a lot of religion is very shame and guilt based. And mm-hmm. that um, finding a way to unpack that has been instrumental in my personal healing and my spiritual journey. journey. So uh, one of that, one way to do that and what was helpful for me is finding the work of Crowley because he does say you're divine, not in spite of your humanity, but because of it. So all parts of me as a person are worth celebrating. So um, yeah, so those are sort of like the Victorian era progressive things. And then the question is like now with what we have, what queer thought has done to expand our understanding of self and gender and sexuality, what does that look like in magical orders today? Um, There has been tremendous efforts made to take what Crowley did and expand on it. So I can speak of uh, within the fraternity, I'm a part of the OTO, for example, there is the diversity council and task force, which actively seeks to um, make policies and the way they do things down to like the administrative level up to the ritual level is uh, inclusive. The language is modern, you know, things like that. I mean, obviously for magical reasons, we can't change all of the language. But yeah, uh, you know, like the OTO, for example, as a femme presenting woman, um, you can hold any position in the entire order uh, with the exception as the priest during the Gnostic Mass. So, you know, you can be the head of the OTO as a woman. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, same with same with uh, it's it's very uh, inclusive with gender as well. I don't. I hope I'm not going on too big of a change here, but but um, no, one thing. Good. Okay, good. Um, but the one thing, mm-hmm. the one thing I really like to see that I think was very progressive, um, and this actually came from a trans woman, Catherine Barry. Um, she's been tremendous in making sure that the policies within OTO are trans inclusive. Um, mm, that's good yeah. to hear. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's some, and I, especially given, of, given our national um, situation at present, that is good to hear. Oh, ab- absolutely. And so, uh, as someone who is uh, a queer person myself and active in uh, the, you know, the LGBT community and activism and stuff, like there's been a lot of, I've seen a lot of efforts made to make spaces for femme people and women, for example, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the 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 issue. I see is when they're like, oh, well, we want to have trans women. And it's like, okay, now we have to define what a trans woman is. And they put all of these roadblocks in the way from allowing trans women, for example, to participate. And one of them I saw was, and this is not OTO, this is just like the the queer community in general. But one of them was saying, um, in order to be considered a trans woman, you had to have a photo ID. And when you consider... Um, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is when you consider that trans women experience a greater amount of homelessness, they experience a greater um, struggle with fi- finances and uh, em- employment. I mean, all of these are real social justice issues that the trans community is facing. Getting a photo ID that with your correct gender just isn't as easy as people mm-hmm. think it is. And I was, no. I was very. I was very against this and for an LGBT space to make, and I, I won't name any names, but like to do that, I was just like, wow, that's kind of messed up. But fast forward to the OTO, for example, if a trans woman wanted to serve as priestess in the Gnostic mass, she just has to identify as a woman. There's no photo ID. There's no surgery, which is 
gross that anyone would even consider making that a requirement, but mm-hmm. yeah, you just have to identify as a woman and you get to serve in that role. And I think that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, that's really, I think I know the instance in which you're talking about. Um, I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about, but <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> so, okay. So kind of bouncing off that then, because ceremonial magic typically does follow the feminine and masculine archetypes, how would you recommend somebody who identifies as non-binary working in or outside of these aspects? Yeah, I am so happy y'all included this question too, because as a queer person myself, this is like, this is so important. I love talking about this. So when we talk about these polarities of forces, it's typically in reference to the Kabbalistic tree of life or other sense polarities and magic. And we use gender, for example, uh, of male versus female as a metaphor, but it is not a perfect metaphor and it is not the only metaphor. And quite frankly, you could throw it out the window. It's sort of like when you reach for other symbols to try to communicate alchemical or mystical knowledge or symbolism. Yeah, you can talk about things in terms of gender, but it's not necessary. And quite frankly, um, there is better language out there to talk about that. So instead of, so when, when you talk about these polarities, instead of saying male versus female, I like the language of saying transcendent versus imminent. And hmm. that could be any person of any gender or sexual exp- expression. It doesn't really matter. Um, obviously for some people, like, conceptualizing these things as male versus female helps them. It's never helped me. Um, I I really like the language of transcendent versus imminent. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, when you're talking about these two paths on the tree of life, you're talking about these these forces, uh, these mystical concepts, which ultimately have no gender, right? So um, it's, it's a very rudimentary way of constructing rituals, doing rituals, thinking about these concepts. Like I said, I don't want to diminish people who do find it helpful in untangling these larger concepts. That's great if it works mm-hmm. for them, but if it's not working mm-hmm. for you, not only are you valid, but you're on your step on your way and taking steps towards greater understanding that's more meaningful. So, uh, what does that mean in the practical sense uh, for someone who is non-binary? I mean, obviously, I think this is going to be, as it should be, an exploration of self and self-knowledge and getting to know yourself. Um, and so maybe for you and your path, that means trying on uh, different roles in the masculine, different roles in the feminine, seeing how that feels um, and using tools like journaling and meditation and self-reflection to see how that's affecting you. Um, for someone who's a newbie and is like, oh, well, I just don't know where to start. Well, I'm going to recommend a book that recently came out called Queer Kabbalah. And um, that's a really great exploration of uh, sort of beyond that simplistic understanding of the binary. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all that information with yeah, us. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> I've never heard it described like in that way. No, so. me either. Actually, but then again, this a isn't a practice that I incorporate yeah, that routinely, I- <laughs> so it makes sense, but very mm-hmm. interesting. <laughs> So is there any resources that you would recommend outside of what you've already said for anyone who wants to learn more? 
to yeah, dip absolutely. their toes. Me, <laughs> toes. yeah, me. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but <laughs> no, definitely. You do make content. You are a good resource. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so I do make educational content and uh, I'm really inspired to make content for solo practitioners and anyone uh, again, with that accessibility thing, right? Not all of us have the time in our lives to read one of these dense books. And part of the problem is and a lot of this- they dense. Oh, oh they are. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and part of it is like the jargon a lot of these books use as well. It's really hard to unpack. A lot of us don't have the time or the resources to unpack what the heck that is even talking about. So mm -hmm. I'm really inspired to help people because again, I believe magic is for everyone and ceremonial magic is for everyone. So uh, ultimately, um, yeah, that's what I do. You can find me a lot of it on YouTube and stuff, uh, but I would like to also leave people with some books they can go out and buy. I think it's really nice to have like something physical in your hands sometimes uh, mm -hmm. to learn from. And uh, what's nice about the books I'm going to recommend is they get away from some of that jargony, hard to understand language. Um, you know, I can see, you know, if my uh, fellow ceremonial magicians are listening to this, their, their hair would curl. They'd be like, oh, you have to read the classics. And you know, yes, yeah, I, I agree. Reading the classics is great, but like if you're someone who doesn't have the time or like the energy, or maybe you just want to dip your toes in, this is go with these books and then expand out there to the classics. So mm -hmm. this is what I recommend. Uh, I recommend Llewellyn's Complete Book of Ceremonial Magic. This is a compilation book covering a large range of perspectives. It's written by 14 different contributors, including David mm. Shoemaker, Lon Milo Duquette, and Stephen Skinner, just to name a few. I'm also going to recommend Modern Magic by Donald Michael Craig. I think this is just a really nice, uh, easy to read book that, again, you can dip your toes into. Uh, for people who are interested in Golden Dawn, obviously there's Israel Regardi, but that's very hard to read. So I'm going to recommend The Essential Golden Dawn by Cheek and Sandra Cicero. And for people who are interested in Thelemic ceremonial magic, I'm going to recommend The Magic of Aleister Crowley by Lon Milo Duquette and Living Thelema by David Shoemaker. Uh, you can find Lon Milo Duquette online. He does podcasts. He does all kinds of interviews all over the place. Uh, same with David Shoemaker. So uh, I recommend the things you can buy. But if you Google, especially David Shoemaker, Lon Milo Duquette, you'll find a myriad and a wealth of free online resources and podcasts and videos uh, to explore there. That's amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. This was incredible. Yes. Um, before we leave you, can you just remind our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. It was so fun to talk to you all and talk about something I'm so passionate about, and especially with issues of queerness and inclusivity. Um, they're so important to me. Um, but uh, you can find me on YouTube, Patreon, all of the socials like Tumblr, Twitter, um, Instagram. And uh, yeah, uh, you can just check me out there. Okay, Perfect. Great. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us. Thank you. So Maria, what's stirring your cauldron this week? Oh, it's I'm rat girl. Tell you. I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> actually, actually, it's rat girl. I want to talk about metaphorical shape shifting. <laughs>
Oh my God, sorry for screaming in everybody's ears. <laughs> First, so our people, our listeners, aren't all confused. You want to say a little bit of what Rat Girl is, and then I'll go into my I own. I really don't want to. Honestly, I'm gonna. I'm going to have a tarot challenge next month. Uh huh. Our tarot, our June tarot challenge is going to be on transformation. But I'm gonna do a special like one-off one that's just gonna be rat girl. Add, like a bonus one. Release your inner rat girl. Free her. Uh, like just a synopsis without giving it away too much because you do you gotta you just just join our Discord and then you'll know. Um, basically, one of our Discord members, Chelsea. <clears throat> Um, had said that she had a crush on an animorph, and I did not let it go. I thought it was the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life, and then it just transformed into everyone praising Rat Girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hail her! <laughs> I love it. It was so fun. honestly. That was the funniest night in a while like, <laughs> oh, I just remember walking in and it was like the whole what discord was on going... fire <laughs> in, a good way. in a good way but it was so funny anyway <laughs> anyway what's in your cauldron babe <laughs> so I'm still like trucking along when it comes to reading Rooted just because I take so many notes when I read books so it takes me forever to go through a book because I want to absorb right. it all and um like since I'm such a slow reader like I retain it more especially when mm-hmm. I write things down so but anyways um but she goes into speaking about metaphorical shape-shifting and how, like, it's represented in stories, like, with, um, uh, oh my gosh, I don't want to mispronounce it, but, like, Selkies, Selkies, mm-hmm. Selkies, um, and how, you know, getting your, um, your hide back, basically, and how even, like, there was a werewolf woman who ended up, like, eating her husband who, who stole her pelt and her revenge was like you know putting her pelt back on and eating her husband <laughs> but um i <laughs> but the whole point of like these stories was to show you know slipping back into your natural state that you you know you've put off for so long because you're mm-hmm. you know you're an adult you're married you have kids so you have to mm-hmm. be you know a different version of yourself and all that and it kind of you know kills your inner child a little bit it kills your wonder of nature your imagination all that and um i just i thought it was a very beautiful metaphor to and violent metaphor (laughs) in some cases (laughs) to go out and you know touch grass you know leave your phone behind leave your responsibilities behind for a little bit and just like enjoy nature and you know even just going out with like your friends and stuff like that and just like you know just dropping the hard Mm -hmm. ships just for a little bit and just being yourself like i know it's easier said than done but Mm -hmm. i don't know i really like that I yeah. like that too. That's really nice. Yeah. I mean, it's no rat girl, but it's pretty close. <laughs> oh no. Cause her transforming into rat girl, isn't she claiming who she really is? Yeah. You're, that is so true, Queen. <laughs> <laughs> So 
So, Robin, what is not stirring your cauldron this week? I'm never going to stop thinking that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, if you follow me on Twitter, actually, I think I mentioned on on Instagram, too, um, a certain well-known tarot company, Biddy, um, has pushed my last buttons, honestly. There's a so there's this thing that a lot of people I don't think realize happens, and I can respect people doing their hustle, right? Mm-hmm. Owners doing their hustles, but in that hustles there are ethical ways of going about them. Consent. One yeah. One of the unethical ways is avoiding consent and buying your information on the internet and then adding you to email lists, adding you to their promotion. It's a pretty common practice. Um, It is really unethical though. And in some States illegal. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Like I live in California. It's incredibly illegal to buy my information and then send me emails um, and Biddy is somebody who has now done this and this isn't the first time and it's also not the I'm not the only person who experienced this and I think it's just really important to acknowledge like how scummy this sort of practice is it's really pissed me mm-hmm. off honestly uh, I don't I know if you listen to the podcast for a while I have mentioned in the past that I don't care for Biddy in general um, mm-hmm. I don't like things like selling tarot certifications there is no governing body in tarot you cannot you are not the end-all be-all of deciding if somebody is quote certified or not just because they gave you 200 for their class their course mm-hmm. especially like we've talked about here on this podcast when there is so much upg in tarot there's so many mm-hmm. personal opinions um and it's important to develop <laughs> your own opinions that's what makes you a skilled and wonderful tarot reader Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know. It just—it's really—it's really bothered me. It's really rubbed me the wrong way, and I just think it's important to acknowledge that, to acknowledge the fact that there are these businesses out there. She's not the only one, and big businesses, um, big, big businesses. businesses that they want to take advantage of you. And I feel as though this is an example of that. This is an example of trying to take advantage of somebody especially when they are selling these quote courses to certify you um, when they've just given you a little receipt. That, like that's all it is. They're giving you a receipt that you've completed their class, but mm. they're writing that you're tarot certified when there's no certification board. Like, it's very misleading on a good day. Um, it's a very misleading thing. And then to go and, break consent things like that it's very mm-hmm. disgusting in my opinion so that's all i want to say about that i don't want to harp on her too much i just think it's really gross and if you've ever wondered why i don't like biddy here's my reasons <laughs> she's finally pushed me to the edge to finally say the reasons i don't like her um yeah so yuck very gross <laughs> yeah gotta make that money apparently Oh, I'm sorry, but if you're not, if, yeah, at what cost? If if you're not producing a good enough product that you need to purchase people's emails and spam them and trick them into joining your courses, your product sucks. Sorry. (laughs) Your product's not good if that's what you're doing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Anyway.
So if this is your first week listening to us, every single week we shout out the creators that we are loving right now. This could be small businesses, artists, photographers, bloggers, just anything that we have organically found on our own that we think is amazing. And this season we have started to incorporate your submissions into this as well. So we have a third listener submitted uh, creator that they are loving right now. And if you're somebody who really wants to shout out a small business, please hit us up on social media or email us so that way we can hopefully incorporate your creator next time. So that being said, Maria, who are you vibing with this week? So I actually received the book, The Evil Eye, History, Mystery, and Magic of the Quiet Curse by Antonio. I'm I I will like completely ruin the last name, so we'll just we'll just we'll just say Antonio, Antonio P. How about that, Antonio okay. P. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we'll be linked in the caption as always yes. in case you are wanting to know more information, just so Maria doesn't butcher it. <laughs> yeah, because um, your girl has a speech impediment. It's fine, <laughs> but very cute. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but this book is loaded with information in history and. I really love it. Like you don't really see like whole books dedicated to this. And you know, the evil eye has such a rich history. Like it, you know, goes back like way, 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 way back. I mean, even Robin said, you know, it was like one of the first symbols, like it's in the Bible. Yeah. But, um, and also predates the Bible and all that too. (laughs) Yeah. But it, I don't like if you really want to learn a lot about the evil eye and how to protect yourself against it and where it even comes from. I definitely recommend picking up this book and like reading all about it. And there's so many great tips and stuff like that in it. So, yeah, highly recommend. I don't have it. I need to get my hands on it. It, it. I've heard nothing but good things about that book. So I'd like to. And it's in. so pretty, like with the gold <laughs> I like foil. the title. History, mystery. <laughs> I know, right? I love a good rhyme. <laughs> it's saucy. We love it. She's beautiful. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but who have you been loving? So I, this this shop was actually tagged by Mutual Minds um, on one of their posts called Nightwing Goods and they Mm -hmm. do a bunch of like really cool seven day candles that I really like they they like draw the art for it and stuff really really beautiful but what caught my eye what what lured me in is they have like um a ball cap like I want to I'm trying to think of how to describe it it's not like a baseball cap it's like like a Patagonia do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like for people who are hikers, you know, you always see those hipster hiker kind of hats. Um, but it has like a chain stitch on it that says witch. And I just Aww, think it's cute. really simple, but it's so cute. And I like, I want to be a hat girly so bad. Like I really do. Hats just don't suit me. I really want them to. <gasps> but I'm you like, look so cute in your author photo with your hat on. That's true. I, I do look good in a beret. I will toot mm-hmm. my own horn on that. Um, but like, you know, like bald, like summer hats. I want to look so good in a summer hat and I never do. Like, but I, 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 I don't believe it because I, I think you look so cute in a summer hat. Thank you. Uh, but I'm like on the fence about just buying myself this hat, even though I might not look good in it because it's so cute. You should get it. And then it could just be decoration if it doesn't, you know, look yeah. 
Because it's so cute. It really is. Yeah. It just like it's like the hiker hat. I oh, I love it. <laughs> See, I have the problem where I have such a big head that like me too. That's <laughs> my problem. I have a huge head, so like hats don't sit right on me. My wife got a like a hat stretcher, and it's done wonders. Like Ooh. ten out of ten. Like so I'm gonna good. look into that. That yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah, you have to have, let it sit on the hat stretcher for like weeks, but it's whatever. Worth it. If it works. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we got some big ass heads around here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Oh, goodness. <laughs> we so, do. who's our listener choice this week? Okay. So it is McKaylee's, right? Uh, brooms. Meckley? Meckley's brooms. Meckley's yeah. brooms from LeBron. I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> <laughs> LeBron, um, Pennsylvania. Did I say that town name correct too? Uh, Hello. No. It's Lebanon. Lebanon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's not her fault, guys. She really does have a speech impediment. I Um, do. (laughs) These are beautiful. Like, actually beautiful. We were going. They're so stunning. We were going through our listener, like, submissions, and we're just, like, you know, Googling stuff. And I pull this broom website up, and I literally said out loud to Maria, I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're just. Stunning. They're so beautiful. They're just besoms and like small hand brooms. And oh my word, they are breathtaking, like truly breathtaking. You can see the quality just even in the photos and the craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Truly stunning. Like really, really nice. And I love that it's a family owned business. Like that's really yeah. sweet. That they have really like their little photo of the whole family at the bottom. It's just so cute. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We hope we will see you again on Friday, June 2nd for our Coffee Talk episode or June 9th for our 11th episode of Season 4. You can keep an eye out on our social media or head to our website, coffeeandcauldrons.com to find out more information and see what we are up to. And don't forget to join us on Patreon May 27th for the Spellcrafting 101 class hosted by Ella Harrison the library tier and up. If you miss it, it will be available immediately after the class starts, actually, because it's alive and it just stays there Mm -hmm. um, forever. So if you are interested in some Spellcrafting 101, we really hope to see you there. Yeah. So additionally, our Patreon Magical Beginnings offers our special 25-minute part two episode, a huge library of articles about witchcraft, a Discord community full of fun events and discussions, and we even have a tier that offers one-on-one conversations with Robin and myself. So please, if you are loving our sexy, sensual, just... Rat girl voices. Take a moment to review us on whatever streaming service that you are tuning in from, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We love reading your reviews and rating us with five stars helps us to be seen by others. Thank you so much to everyone who already has and everyone who will in the future. We appreciate you so much. So again, this is Coffee and Cauldrons with Robin from At a Tired Witch on Instagram. And I'm Maria from at Maria Maria the Arcane on Instagram. Ready? <laughs> yeah. I can speak. I can speak. It's, it's fine. It's fine. All right. One, One two, two, three, three, bye.